Let me welcome you tonight. New Testaments to Matthew chapter 6. Several of the readings to begin our study tonight will come right there from the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew the 6th chapter. While you're getting settled in that location, it's the last night of our meeting. I want to say a few things. It's a privilege to say a few things. I'm certainly very thankful for the opportunity to come back here and spend a few days with you in study. It was three years ago that I was here the first time and made some friendships, started some relationships, and been gone a little while. But I think three of the families from here at different times have found their way traveling through Lindale and have visited our assemblies. That's really encouraging. If you're ever headed towards Dallas, we're right there on I-20, Lindale, Texas. You're welcome to stop by. It'd be really great if you did. It's just wonderful to spend time together and study. I hope that you've been encouraged. I'm thankful for the three leaders, the elders of this church, your shepherds. I had dinner with they and their wives tonight. Their love for you, their hope for the future of this congregation is apparent in the language, in the conversation. And I know that that's a real privilege for you to have leadership like that. Not every place that I have occasion to travel to has leadership like you have here. And that's certainly a wonderful thing. Uh, Bob, man, 28 years, Bob, 20. I know, I know you didn't want me to say it. (laughs) He's been preaching here for 28 years. That is so remarkable and and amazing. And it says a lot about your love for he and and Miss Cherry and their love for you. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I take a lot of great memories home and I'm thankful that we had this chance to be together. I need to jump right in. You know, they say that the secret to be invited back is you just got to keep it short on the last night. I mean, it's the thing everybody remembers. But if you've been following along this week, you know that's just almost impossible. But I'm going to try really hard here. Our theme for this week is generational faith. It's pretty simply stated, and I won't take you all the way through it tonight. It's just we want to get to heaven. We want our, if you've got teenagers in the room, or if you are a young person, we want you to be faithful. All the new babies that have been born in this church, we want to see them grow up and be faithful. We're not interested in all that statistical business of a certain percentage falling away. I don't accept that loss. You shouldn't accept that loss. We can do so much better than that. But there are a few things that we're going to need to do. It takes a lot of people working together, and we've talked quite a bit about that. Tonight, we'll talk about the need, the important need for everyone who's a Christian, no matter the youth of your age, to make sure that your heart and your body are working together for the Lord. Consistent, here's the secret, consistent, daily, godly living is the thing. If everybody here is just taking your heart for God, your love for God, and you're putting it into action on a daily basis, you will be fine. You'll be great. But if we talk big picture, like want everybody to be faithful and hopefully it all works out, but daily there's there's not a lot of godly living and, and good heart working together, that's when the problems come in. So to help illustrate that, get us right where we need to go tonight, I just want to introduce something that Jesus said. It's found right there in your scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. The Bible says, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are you familiar with that passage? You know, I wanted to come up with a a slide that had a quotation like this in the back with Jesus' name underneath it. So I Googled this sentence to try to come up with a slide. And every slide I found on Google Images that had this quote either attributed it to anonymous... Or the Harry Potter author, J.K. Rowling or whatever. I don't know. I guess it's in the movie or something. We can do a lot better than that. This is bigger and older than some fictional series or anonymous contributor. These are some basic principles from Jesus Christ. But what does it mean? That's what we need to explore. 
It means that there is a natural relationship within you. No matter who you are, there is a natural relationship that God built to work between what's going on in your heart and the things that you pursue. There will always be an identifier between the two to show that. So we're going to take a look at it in two categories, just like that. He said, you've got your heart, which is how you feel. It's what you love. It's what's most important to you. And then you have the stuff that you're striving for. The things that you're reaching towards and achieving and saving. Now, for the purpose of our study tonight, when we talk about that natural relationship between your heart and your treasures, we'll use that imagery because Jesus used it. But I also want you thinking tonight about a couple of other terms. When we talk about the heart, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about your core values. Nobody can see your core values. They're in your heart. They're in your mind. They're the things or the people that you love the most, that you think about the most, that matter most to you in this life. And I'll go ahead and get ahead of myself a little bit. If I gave you a sheet of paper, you're actually going to get one of these in the back on your way out. And I ask you to write down, what are your three core values? In order of best, second best, third best, what are the things or people that absolutely capture your heart? When Jesus talks about the heart, that's what he's talking about. And when he talks about treasures, this is where it gets a little bit different. Those can be classified as the things you're out there pursuing. Your treasures, your goals, your aspirations, what you're looking forward to, what your calendar's all filled with. And what I need you to see tonight is there's a natural relationship between those two. I think you'll agree with this next couple of systems that we've got set up because this is what Jesus is teaching. Whatever your heart loves will naturally begin to produce goals in your day that sort of give that life. If you love it, you start chasing things that relate to it. So your core values will produce your personal goals and it works the other way as well. If you want to know what really matters to somebody, how do you figure that out? You can't open them up and look inside and go, oh, you got it tattooed on your heart. How do you know what really matters to someone? You check out the stuff they're pursuing. The stuff they're talking about and working towards and all about and what dominates their life. It's their treasure. Look at again in Matthew 6, verse 21. He said, where where your treasure is, your goals and your aspirations, that's where I will find your heart. What you're looking at behind me is just the way God built you. You are not intended to violate this system. It never feels right to violate this system. But I will say this, sometimes we do try. Sometimes we try to fight the system, and here's what that might look like. You have a Christian who truly does love the Lord. They care about God and the Bible and faith and their children's faith. But when you look at the things that they're treasuring in this life, it's a bunch of other stuff. You know, their aspiration is occupationally related, or or it has something to do with, with recreation, and they're eat up with that. But that's never going to work long term, because deviating the two is very hard to maintain. I was watching a speech from last year by a valedictorian. You guys may have seen this every year since last year. It kind of goes around about this guy who who was given his valedictorian speech. And he said, I worked very hard to be the valedictorian of this school. 
I worked long hours. I took extra tests. I went above and beyond because I thought that the biggest treasure in my life and what I wanted the most was to win this award. And the night that they gave me the award for 15 seconds, I felt amazing. He said, but in the 16th second, I felt nothing. It was gone. I didn't feel proud of myself. I wasn't excited about it. I put all this work, I made all these sacrifices for it, and it means nothing. And he got up and told all these students, he said, what really mattered to me were my friendships. Spending time my senior year with people that I care about. But I didn't get to honor the things I really love because I thought I needed to be pursuing this valedictorian award. And he said, I sure am glad I learned that at 18 years old. That it's not worth sacrificing the things you really love in order to get stuff that everybody else tells you is important. Because one of two things are going to happen. First of all, you're just going to run out of energy chasing things that your heart doesn't love. Or worse yet, you may actually achieve the goal and realize it matters none. He learned a very important lesson that I think maybe some adults still need to learn. We've got a lot of Christians who have this heart for God, but they're pursuing all these worldly things, thinking that they're going to find this great purpose in their life, this great joy with the extra income or the extra achievements. You're never going to find it. And God never built us to operate that way. So I want you to begin thinking. It's a very practical lesson tonight. I want you to begin thinking about the relationship between the things that you would write down as your core values. And what if I ask you on the other side of the page to write down the three things you are pursuing most diligently this year? So I'm asking you to write down your heart, and I'm asking you to write down your treasures. Is there a relationship between those things? Because Jesus is revealing some things to us, and I want to show you three of those things. Number one, what he wants us to do is have a heart for him, a true passion for him, and then set goals that honor it. When's the last time you said, it's January, it's time to set my goals for the year. I'm going to write down things that I need to do to grow in God. Jesus said, those are the kind of things you need to be pursuing. Go back with me to Matthew 5 for a moment. He tells them what the heart of a disciple is like. The heart of a disciple is found in the Beatitudes in verses 3 and following. These are the kind of people you and I are supposed to be on the inside. We are the kind of people who are poor in spirit, verse 3, because we love being a part of the kingdom. We are those who mourn. We are gentle. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're hungering and thirsting for that. We're merciful. We're pure in heart. And we're peacemakers. I'm reading from Matthew 5, 3 through 9. That's the heart of a disciple. We love the Lord. We love peace. We love mercy. We love humility. We love God. Now he says then, go to our text in Matthew chapter 6. He says, okay, so go out and pursue things that prove that that's true about you. He said in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. What's he telling them? You can't walk around saying, I'm pure of heart. I love the Lord and his word more than anything else. And peace is all I care about. And then go out there and chase money all the time. Like, you can't do that. Whatever's in here needs to live out there. If you really are somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, then naturally one of the treasures you're pursuing ought to be greater Bible knowledge. I I think I was pretty clear. I'm going to back up and say that again. If your heart is really a person of the kingdom who loves righteousness in the Word of God, and I say, okay, great, how's your Bible reading program going in February? And you're like, my what? Well, you know your Bible reading program. You know, reading through the New Testament, right? Well, I got a lot of stuff going on at school right now. Got a lot of stuff going on at work. Got a really busy schedule. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So your heart is like, I love God's Word, and your life is like, God's what? Jesus said, you got to get all that working together. Whatever's going on in here needs to be living out there. Have a heart for God and then set some goals that honor it. Because look, if our hearts are false, the tell is the stuff we're doing. Now let me give you an extreme example. You're already in the right text. Go to chapter 7. Remember the false prophets? I know we don't have any false prophets in the room tonight, but I want you to know how you figure out if you got a false prophet or not. So here's what happens. If you walk up to a false prophet... And you say, hey, false prophet. And he says, yeah, what do you want? That's not the way it's going to work. But you say, hey, man, what are your heart's desires? What's a false prophet going to say? Remember, he's a false prophet. What's he going to say? He's going to say greed, (laughs) manipulation and power, of course. He won't say that. What's he going to say? He's going to say, my heart's desire is the kingdom and this church, and faith. But there's a problem. His treasures and the map he's traveling tell a different story. Pick up in verse 15. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruits, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now listen, deviation is possible. I taught you that already. It is possible for somebody whose heart is not godly to engage in a bunch of godly things, but eventually he will not be able to maintain it. I don't really want to talk a lot about this tonight, but I am concerned in churches that there are people who go to church, lead prayers, participate in Bible classes. Their treasures, the stuff they're pursuing looks great, but their hearts, their hearts are dark. Darkness has come in and eventually you think all that stuff's going to make it all work out, but it doesn't work that way. It's covering for something. Listen, false hearts eventually show themselves outwardly. It's hard to maintain good treasure seeking when you don't really care about that treasure. So here's the last thing that I would say about that. Go a little further in Matthew 7. Goals determine eternity because they reveal the heart. Do people like it when you judge them by their deeds? Who likes that? Raise your hand if somebody says, so I've been noticing the things you've been doing, and I've been noticing the stuff you've been pursuing, 
And I've been listening to all the things you've been talking about. And I got to tell you, I just don't know that you're very focused on God. Who enjoys it when someone tells them that? Anyone here? I didn't think so. But you would be very insulted by that, wouldn't you? You'd say, you have no right to say that to me. Well, you know, you don't really go to church all that much. And, and you haven't been doing your Bible class work. And, and you tend to talk about all kinds of other stuff. What is somebody going to tell you? They're going to say, you cannot judge my heart. You have no right to judge my heart. My relationship with God is my own. Jesus said, no, that's not true at all, actually. And in reality, we can take the things you care about and pursue, and we can figure out what kind of heart that you have. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, the word is in your heart and you're pursuing the treasures, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Now, back up to verse 21. Here's why he told that story. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not enlist these things that they did? But he said, you lived a life of lawlessness. And that's what truly revealed your character. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that when you leave here tonight and this meeting is over, and you're going about your week, you're going to be given a sheet of paper, and you're going to be asked to write down the things that matter most in your heart and the top three things you're pursuing in 2020. And I'm just going to tell you that whatever you write down is telling you something. It's indicative. It's painting a picture. It may be saying, I care about things that matter, and I'm pursuing things that matter. If I write down a bunch of spiritual things, all oh, my heart is all about the spiritual, and yet my goals are purely monetary and physical, something ain't right. Something's not right. And we've got to figure out how to fix that and get consistent. Let me give you a good case study for this. Why don't we just talk about Jesus himself? Our case study will be Jesus Christ. I think I can list for you Jesus' core values. I understand this is a major undertaking. And it's probably not wise for somebody to stand up and tell you what three things mattered most to Jesus in this life. But he actually told us this. Jesus, with his own words, went around telling people, let me tell you what my core values are. So I'm going to show them to you. Open your Bible with me to John chapter 4. Number one on Jesus' list. It'd be interesting to see if you would match up with this. Number one is, I just want to do what the Father wants me to do. My core value, my heart's passion is to just obey the will of the Father. Open your Bibles to John 4. In John chapter 4 and in verse 34, I love the way Jesus said this. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. That matters more to me than anybody else, anything else, any pursuit on this earth is if God says to do it, I want to do it. Look over in chapter 6 as well, in verse 38, it's just very similar to that. In chapter 6, in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. Why are you here, Jesus? He said, I'll tell you why I'm here. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I am absolutely certain that Jesus would have told you that his number one core value is obeying the Lord. But there are a couple of other things that matter to him as well. He also told us in Luke chapter 19 that he really wanted to save the lost. You know what Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, right? What are you doing here, Jesus? I have come to do what? Seek and save the lost. Said it with his own lips. 
That's core value number two. I would never pursue the lost in any way that would violate the will of my Father. That's the number one thing. But the second thing is this. And then lastly, open your Bibles to Mark 10. Just making a list here. In Mark chapter 10 and verses 29 and 30, I think we can round out Jesus' heartfelt value system. Please God, save the lost, take care of disciples. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother, father, children or farms for my sake, Mark 10, 29, for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What's Jesus saying? I will take care of you. You're on my core value list. I will make sure that you're provided for. Okay, so he told us what mattered to him. So I'm going to list something on the right here. This is going to represent some of the big daily goals in Jesus' life. And just make a really shocked face if you're shocked at this. Like if what you see in this box on the right blows you away, I want to see a big blown away face, okay? So here's Jesus saying, my core values are those three things. So here is what I'm going to do every day. Any shocked faces out there? Anybody? Anybody faint? None? Everybody still with me? What a huge surprise. Someone who says his core values are to honor God, convert the lost and bless his people, went about sacrificing his life for the will of God day in and day out went out of his way into his own demise to sit with sinners to try to teach them the gospel and assisted, prayed with, and encouraged his disciples all the time. There is a natural connection between those two lists. I think that makes sense. His heart feeds his goals. His goals prove what's in his heart. It makes perfect sense to me, and it should to you as well. But let me ask you this. What if it didn't look like that? What if Jesus said, I just want to obey God. Christians say that too. I just want to obey God. Save souls. Christians say that too. I want to obey God. I want to save souls. And I want to be an encouragement to my brethren. Sounds great. And so I started reading the Gospels going, oh, I can't wait to see Jesus doing that. These are going to be great stories. I'm going to get to read stories about him doing all this great stuff. And yet when I actually start reading the Scripture, I find that Jesus spent his 33 years doing all that stuff. He told me what mattered most to him. Heartfelt, Jesus said it. And so I'm reading the Gospels, and I see a Jesus who's trying to live a long life who's planning his retirement, who's trying to make sure that he never gets hurt or sick or is exposed to the elements. I see a Jesus who wants to be popular with the Jews and that he's a super cool Jesus. He wants to be popular with the Jews. He's thinking about running for election, you know, like a local Herod or something next year. I see a political Jesus. I see a Jesus who enjoys being served by other people. He said, hey, there's a bowl over there with a towel in it. Go get it. Great. Now wash my feet with this. I'd be confused. Would you be confused? I don't know what would happen. I'll tell you what would happen. The whole church, there wouldn't be a church if this was true. It would be very confusing to me to see a Jesus say, this is what I'm all about, but that's the stuff I'm doing all the time. I'll tell you this, and I was very prayerful before I typed this out because I know that it's a borderline, an area I probably shouldn't go here. But I know it's not true. But if this was the life of Jesus, one of two things would have to be true. One I think he must be lying about his values. I mean, would that be a logical outcome? 
He told us what mattered most very passionately, and yet he's not doing any of that stuff. He's planning other stuff. He's pursuing other things. One of two things are true. Either he's actually being dishonest about his values or he's just wasting his life. I mean, what a waste of a life to know that I live to honor God, save the lost and encourage Christians. And then spend your whole life trying to live a long time for everybody to like you and to be served by other people. Now, I know this isn't true of Jesus. What I'm asking you to do this week is just start measuring yours. Measure what you would say on the left with what your calendar says on the right. Measure what you say you're going to pursue against what you're actually pursuing in 2020. One of the things you guys know about the, the podcast, the Excel Still More, and we have a little journal and all this kind of stuff. Not, people, not a lot of people journal. Guys don't journal. You know, they probably call it diarying or something. But every day, I try to write down a daily spiritual highlight. I try to write down one spiritual thing I'm going to do today, at least one spiritual thing that in some way would attach itself to my core values. If I'm not doing at least one thing a day, if I'm too busy doing all that stuff to do this, something's wrong. Either I've lied about what matters or I'm wasting my life. Of course, Jesus wasn't like that at all, so let's get right back there before God gets upset with me. This is the real story. Now, you might look at this and say, okay, so what are you saying, Chris? Are you saying we have to throw out all of our goals for 2020? You know, we're saving pennies in a jar to go to Disney World. You just got to give all that to the poor or what? I mean, that'd be cool, I guess, but no. Can I have other goals? Can I have any kind of physical goals or does it all have to be spiritual? No, I don't think so, but I want to illustrate it to you. What if we studied Jesus' life a little further and we had more information on him? And we saw that everything you see here is correct. In fact, we biblically know all that's true. But we also saw that Jesus had a few other things he was into as well. Some other goals. Like, you know, he was a pretty good carpenter maybe, and maybe Jesus wanted to earn a little extra money on the side. Would you just throw your Bible in the fire if you saw Jesus making a little extra money building some tables? No, it's okay. If he wants to become a little bit better carpenter and do that, that's perfectly fine. Maybe he wants to get regular rest. Maybe he likes to take naps in the afternoon. Maybe he likes to sleep in in the morning. Maybe he likes to make sure that he recovers with his body. Maybe he likes to stay in good shape. Maybe Jesus ran 5Ks. I don't know. Would you say, oh, Jesus ran a marathon. He's out. I mean, no Christian would run a marathon, you know? I mean, think about the hours you put into training for a marathon. If you really love God, who are our runners out here? Let me get you. Where are our runners? If you really love God, you'd stop wasting an hour a day training for a marathon, and you'd be out there preaching the gospel. That's not fair. I don't think that's fair. But... Here's what would need to be the case. We are going to have physical, regular old goals. I mean, I want to shoot a few rounds in the 60s this year. It's kind of a goal. It's a golf reference. That's going to take a little time and a little training, and I'm okay writing that down. I'm looking to try to write a book on a certain topic. I want to do that. But let me tell you this. If Jesus had some secondary things like that, which you're going to have a chance to write down on the sheet of paper you take home, there are a couple things that would need to be true. Number one, these... Oh, look, I didn't know I had this. How come nobody told me? These are fine as long as what? As long as they come after these. Does that make sense to you? These are fine. It's fine to have those goals. You want to catch 13-pound bass and win the Alabama State Championship? Do it. Pursue it. Figure it out after you've taken care of the things that matter first. What happens if there's a conflict between the top list and the second list? What if you have to make a choice between the two? 
We'll know where our heart is if our choice is spiritual. And I would also say this, and this is kind of next level for me. I'm working on it at home. I think that whatever my goals are in some way, they ought to feed back towards my values. Like maybe Jesus says, I want to better, earn a better living because I'd like to give more to the poor. I'd like to get regular rest and stay in good shape so that I can travel to encourage God's people. A couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to learn to program in Python language. Anybody know what that means? It's like some computer jargon stuff. I just decided I needed to become a programmer. So I started studying Python. Two hours a day I studied Python programming. And I was becoming a pretty good Python programmer. And then I had to wonder, why? Like, why? Because I've got an extra 20 hours a week to work a part-time job programming Python things? No. Because it somehow fed back to some basic, you know, I was going to like go try to convert some snakes or something? No. There was nothing. It's not the same kind of Python. There was no feedback. I was pursuing goals. They came after the spiritual goals, but they actually like didn't in any way feed back toward. It was like that valedictorian who was like, I can't believe I did this. I blew the whole year so that my mom could take pictures with me with like a blue ribbon thing on. I wish I had spent more time with my friends. So that's what we want to talk about for just a little bit tonight. What about you? What about you? You saw in Matthew some ideas in Matthew chapter 6. Now I'd like you to go to Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians 3. What about you and what about me? When you pick up the sheet in the back, it will have two slides on it stacked this way, one on top of the other. The ones that you're about to see represent those slides that you've been asked to take home and consider for yourself. So what you're going to see here, you'll have in your hands. Here's what you first want to do. First of all, prayerfully... Not in a moment's notice, certainly not as some sound bite to sound good in the pe- for the people in the room, but on your own, prayerfully write down in order, one, two, three, what is your heart burning for? Who do you love? What matters? If you failed at everything else in your life and you came up short in every other endeavor, but there are three things you held on to, What are those three things? You need to write those down. Those are going to be real, and they're going to represent your core and your heart. Then, write down things you're working hard for this year. Now, notice the nature of the question. I didn't say, write down things you should be working hard for this year. Because then you'd be able to come up with a great little slide, right? I want to know what you're already pursuing. What's the stuff that absolutely dominates your thinking, that you're working on, that you're sacrificing for, that, that are non-negotiable? And then you have to decide, how do those things stack up? Is there any relationship between them at all? Is there any way to justify the way I'm using my time? Now, I know that kids have to go to school and get an education, and, and we've got to go to work and earn things, and, and those can fit under physical goals. I want to earn a little bit more money uh, for, um, at work, or, or I want to get a better grade at school so I can qualify for something. That's all great and fine, but it needs to fit below, and if possible, it needs to feed itself back to what matters the most. I did this... This year, a few weeks ago, it took me a while to make my list of what my core values were. And here's what I came up with. It's not going to be the same as your list. Number one on my list is this year I want a love-based relationship with God. I don't want a fear-based relationship. I don't want a distant, strained relationship. The number one valuable thing in my life is I want a relationship with God that feels like love is moving in both directions. The second thing is I want joy and peace in my family. 
I didn't just write down family. I want joy. I told my mom this. I said, I wrote, I didn't just write down family. I said, joy and peace, mom. We need to get along better, you and me. Joy and peace in my family. By the way, neither of which so far is you. But I'm here tonight. Let me tell you why. Because the third thing is to encourage people to grow in Jesus. That's my list. That's Chris's list, 2020. That's, I think that represents the heart of my life. I want a love-based relationship with God. I want joy and peace in my family. And I want to encourage God's people. And so then I started looking at the things that I had planned for this year and done. And basically, I looked back over last year, and I saw a lot of things that I accomplished that had nothing to do with those three things. And in fact, we're at the expense of some of those things. And I started to ask myself, was it truly successful? The things that I did and accomplished and that worked well when it didn't feed back to any of those core values. And I've started making cuts and changes, started trimming down the gospel meetings some. It's great to be here tonight. Being here with you feeds the third most important thing to me in this whole wide world. So I hope that makes you feel like at least a little bit special. You're like the third most valuable thing to me on the planet. But you're third. And my family is second, and my relationship with God is first. And so long as I can be here with you on a Sunday through Wednesday and encourage you and you me, and it not in any way inhibit my relationship with my family, I'll see you next time. But I have to make some real decisions on if that starts to become a problem. Are you ready to do that? We can also have physical goals. I've got a few other things that I want to do this year, but I have to make sure that they always fall below and in some way they feed back towards. I ask you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians 3. I just want to use Paul as an example as we get to the end of this study. Let's use Paul as an example. Another case study, if you will. I'm pretty sure I know what mattered most to Paul. He talked about in Galatians 2, he said, you're not even looking at Paul anymore. You're looking through Jesus living through a vessel. Like, his life was just Christ living through me and the places I go and the things that I do. And he represents it this way in Philippians 3 and verse 7. He said, whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as lost for the sake of Christ. This is his heart speaking. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Christ. He said, folks, my list is simple. I just want to be with Jesus. I want to help people be with Jesus. That's what I'm all about. So in verse 12, here's what he says. When he talks about his maturity and his growth, he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, focus on this please, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's why I read that passage to you. First of all, it illustrates that Paul had a very... Uh, continuity-based life going. He knew what he believed in, and he was striving for things that, that demonstrated that to the world and fed it back. But he also said, you know, in my past, there were successes and there were failures. Sometimes in the past, my list was all messed up, and sometimes it was right, but I'm not looking back, I'm looking forward. If you will fulfill this exercise at home, and you don't like what you see, it's just time to make some changes. It's time, verse 13, one thing I do, forget what lies behind, make some changes, get it right, and just start reaching forward for what lies ahead. I'll tell you this, go ahead and honor your heart with your goals. And if the goals are worldly, now you know you have some issues with your heart. 
but at least create continuity between the two. So as we close, I'm going to put it in this way, three things. I'll tell you where this kind of came from. I, I listened to a podcast for a guy, a secular guy named Hal Elrod. And man, Hal's super successful. He's an amazing guy all this stuff, in traditional sense. And his podcast last year, the last episode of the year was called Why 2019 Was the Worst Year of My Life by Far. That's how, that was his last episode for the year. So I thought that very interesting because I knew how successful Hal was. And in his episode, and by the way, I knew that he'd had a car accident when he was 20 and overcame all these odds. I thought, now that may have been the worst year ever. Or four years ago, he was diagnosed with, with leukemia and he fought that. But no, he said 2019, a year when he had the most, made the most money in his life, was the most recognizable in his life. He says, the worst year of my life. And I thought, well, how could that possibly be? So in the episode, he said, look, you know, I have, he called what is called chemo brain. He said, I have some, some things that are now askew in my head after three years of chemotherapy, and I can't change that. But he said, I've developed an anxiety disorder. I have trouble socializing with people, and I don't even know if I want to live anymore, and I can't figure out what's wrong with me. Listen carefully. It looks like everything's going great. Everybody tells me everything's going great, and I feel awful. What's wrong with me? But he said, I told a friend about that, and the friend invited me over to his house, and we pulled out a whiteboard, and he said, Hal, I want you to tell me, what are the three core values of your life? And Hal said, well, health is number one, because if I die, I can't be around. Second is my family, and third is security. I want you to think about that. He said, my health, my family, and being able to financially provide for them. And then they said, okay, let's list all the stuff you did in 2019. He said, oh, I did a lot of stuff. I finally got a book published by an actual publisher. I traveled to Europe for three speaking engagements. We had this massive blowout thing in, uh, in Las Vegas and all this stuff. And, and he said, tell me, did those things connect to your values? And he said, not a single one of them did. He said, because I, made t I didn't need the money. So no matter how much money I made, it was more than I ever needed. So it didn't serve as security. We were already secure. I spent gobs of time away from my family, so I was neglecting number two on the list. And because of diet and missing doctor's appointments, my health deteriorated all year long. He had a banner, stellar, front page of the newspaper year, and he was downright miserable from January to December. Why? Because his goals look great to the world but they violated the things that he cared about the most. And so he went through this little process, and this is what I want to end with tonight. He said, here's what I learned to do. I learned to know myself, love myself, and be myself. When we started this series, you and me, on Sunday morning, we allowed you to just focus on you. You didn't think about your marriage or your parents or your kids. You didn't think about relationship. I just wanted you to focus in on you and how your faith is going. How, how you're affecting relationships. And so we're going to finish tonight in that same way. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, you need to have an honest conversation with yourself. What are your core values? And are you building a schedule that resonates with it? That's how you know yourself. Secondly, love yourself is the hardest step of all. He had to love himself enough to call his business partner and say, I'm going to cancel all of my overseas trips next year. We're going to cancel both of the major conferences and I want out of the book deal. And his business partner, his business partner said, uh, don't do any of that. He said, I want to do all of it. 
I care enough about myself to know that I've got a heart that's here and a life that's going that way, and it's tearing me apart. Second thing you're going to have to be able to do is the hardest of all. Love yourself enough to say no to every pursuit that violates who God has made you and that takes up time from things that really matter. That's hard. The third part's easy. Now you just get to be yourself. Your true self. Your heart. The part of you that loves God, loves God's will, and loves God's people. You get to pursue things like that. You've freed up your schedule. You've united your mind and your body. And you get to be who God always wanted you to be. You've got to clear that out and make it happen. So I would say this as we conclude tonight. Here's what yours is going to look like. Just like that. That's what you get. I hope you'll spend a little bit of time with this this week. And I hope that you can experience the relief of anxiety. The relief of worry. And the optimism that, forget Hal Elrod, that Chris Emerson is presently working on. Every time these things go back into alignment in even the slightest way, I feel myself change. It feels right, godly, wholesome, and purposeful. In fact, I've been going to the doctor all year, guys. I didn't tell you guys that. I've been going to the doctor. I have heart PVCs. You guys ever heard of that? My heart's like fluttering all the time. I'm up all night. I'm trying to figure out. They said, it's anxiety. I said, I don't feel anxious. You worried about stuff? Worried about nothing. I think it's ironic that Hal's problem and mine are similar. I've been running in a direction, leaving my heart behind. I'm ready to see how that works when it aligns in the name of Jesus. If you need that, if you need to make that change, if you know you can make a decision tonight, a treasure pursuit tonight, that'll get you headed back towards the things that matter most, you're going to feel that. And it'll change you from the inside out. If you need encouragement, you know that maybe it's becoming a Christian. We haven't spoken much about baptism this week, but we've ended every every session, every sermon with this idea that the greatest treasure in your life is a relationship with Jesus. You go to the water, you submit to him, you come up united, and there's there's not a peace like it. There's not a peace like it on this earth. You can pursue it everywhere you want. You can go to higher education and pursue it. You can make it up to the top floor of the business office in downtown Birmingham. It's not there. It's in Jesus. That's where it is. If that's something you need to pursue, now's that moment as we stand together and sing.